morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it is great to have you guys with us today. And if you're new to us, uh, with us here at Thrive Church, we have our Connect gathering today. So what is Connect? Connect's a chance to do that. Connect beyond just sitting in a row at Thrive Church in our cafe immediately following the service. Um, we're going to have that. We have free food for you, free child care. So if you're new to Thrive, even if it's your first time, make sure you join us um, for our Connect gathering. And if you're watching online, check this out. For all of our online people who are sitting on their couches right now, we're not angry a bit at you, but we have an online Connect gathering for you today as well, and you can find the link down in the comments section here. Well, it's good to have you with us. If you've just joined us as well, we're in a series called Stranger Things in the Bible, kind of playing off the whole Stranger Things series, got the 80s vibe going on. And last week we talked about heaven, which was really fun. Uh, this week we're going to talk about hell. And I actually think it's going to be fun because as followers of Jesus, or if you're seeking and trying to find out more about Christianity, it's important to know about what does the Bible say about heaven. Not what does culture say, but what does Bible, the Bible say about heaven, and what does the Bible say about hell as well. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 19 this morning. Luke 16, 19. So um, back in, it was 1999, it was February, late February, I was at a party. And I just had kind of an experience with the Lord. I didn't know the Lord. I was very far from God, but I was being drawn to Him. He was drawing me to Himself. And I was at a party that Saturday night, I'll never forget it. My friends and I were, you know, partying like we usually do, doing all the things we do. I don't, I don't need to go into the details. No deets there, right? Uh, and we're drinking, hanging out, having fun. And the song Highway, Highway to Hell by ACDC comes on the, the loudspeakers. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And I never forget this guy beside me who was a friend. He raised a beer. He said, we're going to party in hell. They're like, yeah, we're going to party forever. They're like, yeah, we're, gonna, we're on the highway to hell. So like, yeah, I can't wait. And they're all like, just saying, I can't wait to go to hell. And then I looked at my friend because, again, I'm being drawn to the Lord. I'm like, I'm going to heaven, man. I ain't going to go to hell. And he looked at me. If you ever remember the old El Paso salsa TV commercials, anybody remember those? And they found out that the salsa was made in New York City. These cowboys were like, New York City, and everything stops. And they all look at that guy. That's what happened. Like, I kid you not, I think the music stopped too. <laughs> and they all look at me like, Bordeaux, what has gone wrong with you? Like, why would you want to go to heaven? And, and here's why. Last week we ended our message with the idea of this. Don't buy into the cultural lie. That Satan has done a great PR job of presenting heaven as being boring. When you think of heaven, you think of heaven as little angels, babies on clouds with wings on harps. Just, it's kind of boring. Like, what do we do? Like, I like to worship, but I don't want to stand around and just like sing forever, right? <laughs> it's like the worship service that would never stop. If you want to find out more about what's exciting about heaven, go back and listen to last week. But what Satan has done through a PR job through our culture and media has taught us that heaven is really boring and hell is going to be a nonstop party. You got the guys with the tattoos, and they're serving drinks out. Everybody's singing their favorite songs, and just everybody's having a great time and interacting together when that's so far from the truth. And we've even been painted the cultural lie that heaven's just a place that people go to burn in forever, and they're climbing, trying to get out, screaming, God, let us out. And this mean, angry, judgmental God says, no, I'll never let you out of hell. And we have that view of hell as well where I believe both of those have painted a very wrong picture of what hell is going to be like. 
So Luke, in his gospel in Luke 16, Luke gives us insight from a story that Jesus shares about some things about hell. What will hell be like? Now remember, Luke was the only non-Jewish writer. He was a Gentile. So his gospel has a lot of things. As he did research, he didn't walk with Jesus. Remember, Matthew did, right? John did. Uh, Mark met with Peter, talked to him, wrote his gospel. But Luke researched it. He was a doctor, and so he wrote this gospel to a guy named Theophilus. And then he wrote the book of Acts, a follow-up about, about the early church. And so he carefully researched everything. So Luke shares and has certain things in his gospel that other ones don't have. And what happens in Luke 16 as he's you know, rewriting here and sharing the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is up against his antagonists, which are the Pharisees. You're wondering, what are Pharisees? They were Jewish religious leaders. And uh, they did not like Jesus at all because Jesus confronted everything. Jesus was a Jew confronted everything that was hypocritical and self-righteous about them. They thought by their outward acts of religion that they were accepted by God and better than everybody else. They were more mature, more holy, because they did everything right on the outside. But as Jesus shared with them, and Mark, Mark's gospel really highlights this, he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Outside you look pretty, but inside it's full of bones. You're dead on the inside. You have no love for God. And Jesus was confronting them. And in Luke 16, Jesus really confronts them about money because they loved money. He talks to them about stewardship, about he gives a parable earlier that if you're faithful little things, God will give you more. And then he shares with them, you can't love God, you can't love money. So he's all about what the riches of earth, earth versus, versus the riches of heaven. And then he goes into this story. And what we're getting ready to read is not a parable. Now, Jesus taught many parables, and what a parable was it was like a metaphorical story. It was a, an earthly story that probably never happened, but it had a heavenly meaning. And when he got done with these stories, he would share it from a story, and he'd, and he'd give the punchline. They'd all go, oh, I got it. Wow. And they would leave with a takeaway every time. This was not a parable. Most scholars believe this was an actual event because this is the only story that Jesus tells where he names somebody in there. No other parable had anybody named, but now Jesus names this person. And what you're going to see is you're going to see a rich man, a poor man. They both die, and you're going to see what happens to them. And it's going to give us insight into what is the biblical view of hell. So look at Luke 16, verse 19. It says, Jesus said, there's a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived in luxury, each day in luxury. Purple was the color of people who were rich. Like you read in the book of Acts, Lydia was a seller of purple. Prince would have shined in that day and time, like it was 1999, right? Like, like purple was the color of rich people. And he says this, at his gate, his gate now, lay a poor man named Lazarus, who is covered with sores, sores. Gives you a juxtaposition of the two main characters in this account. It says uh, that in verse 21, as Lazarus lay there longing from scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. The rich man did nothing for Lazarus. Lazarus, that name means God is my help. Have you noticed that the poor man is named, but the rich man has no name? It says great significance, which we'll look at. Verse 22 says, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. This is very strategic what Jesus is doing. He doesn't say just God. He says Abraham. Why Abraham? Because he's speaking to the Pharisees, remember? 
the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, held Abraham in the highest regard, believing that Abraham would be right there beside God because they, they just, he was the father of their faith. And so he uses Abraham to speak to them about this. So Lazarus goes, and he's with Abraham, the bosom of Abraham in heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham far uh, in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, and this is so important, so important. We're going to dive into this. He can shout anything he wants to shout to Abraham, which is like God's representative. Anything he wants to shout. You would think he would say, Father Abraham, let me out. I'm sorry. And look what he says here. Father Abraham, have some pity. <laughs> Send Lazarus over here to dip the finger, uh, a tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing and now he is here being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man said, please, Father, Abraham. And this is very important. This is the second thing he says. This is not what we expect of someone in hell. Very important. He says, for I have five, he says, uh, excuse me, he says, please, Father Abraham, at least send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment, quote-unquote, like I did. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead." you got to see what's happening here in this passage. Lazarus is named. His name means God is my help. And then you have this rich man who's not named, but we know him as the rich man. Why? Because he found his identity in his riches. Both of them are separated, and they go to what is we would call heaven and hell, and we'll explain that in a second. But the conversation they have, the things that he chooses to say is so important because it gives you insight into hell. And we're going to look into that deeper. But I want to talk to you about three things to start off, three truths about hell so you can understand kind of the, the breakdown of it. Uh, number one is the purpose of hell. The pur why was hell created? Why is there a hell? Well, Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. That's the ones who don't know Christ, and we'll get into that. Into the eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his demons. So realize, hell was never created for humans. It was created for the devil and his demons. Why? Because in heaven, we believe through Isaiah and Ezekiel, we read the Old Testament, that Satan was once an angel in heaven, one of the chief angels. Some say the worship leader. That's why worship leaders are from the devil. I'm kidding. I love Aunt Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, we have great worship leaders. But they believe that he was a very, very high, high up in the hierarchy of angels, and he led a rebellion against God. Scripture tells us that one-third of the angels rebelled because Satan wanted to take over heaven. So what happened? God kicked them out of heaven and created hell for him to be there. Why? Because Satan did not want God to rule and reign in his life. He wanted to be God. 
It's very important here. He did not want to be in the presence of God. He wanted to take over and take over heaven and kick God out. And so God created a place for him where he could have exactly what he wanted. That's what he wanted, right? To be separated from the presence of God and to be his own God and do what he wanted to do. So God said, cool, you want that? Here's your place. He's kicked out of heaven. Well, what we understand is this, and you'll learn more about this, the purpose of hell. It was created for Satan and his demons who didn't want to be in the presence of God. They wanted to be God and do their own thing. The same thing is true for people as well. It's created for people who don't want to be in the presence of God. They want to be their own God. They want to do their own thing, and they reject all the things of God. And we'll talk about that and get more into it. But that's, that's the purpose of hell. The secondly, the question is, what the place of hell? This is the second truth I want to share with you, the place of hell. We often view hell as this big pit of fire where people are just screaming and torment, and you got the, the devil with the horns and the pitchfork, and he's, you know, ah, rah, rah. And you kind of see that in the cartoons and even some of the movies and things of that nature. But here's the place of hell. You got to understand what hell is going to be like. I told you last week this. Our quarantine we had for those two weeks, which we had, I know we had to do, that, is going to be a, that was an internship for hell. Hell is a place where you are isolated and you are separated. You're separated, number one, from the very presence of God because you did not want the things of God on earth. Just like Satan, you said, I don't want your presence. I want to be my own God. I'll call my own shots, and that's what I want. Understand, the place of hell is a place of isolation and separation. It's also a place, remember the PR job Satan has done about heaven is boring? Hell is going to be nothing but boredom forever. You're not around friends. You're not laughing. You're not singing highway to hell. You're not having a beer. You're by yourself. You're isolated. Abraham, or excuse me, the rich man was not in Abraham's bosom. He was isolated, right? That he couldn't come across there. The place of hell will also be this. I'm not sure if there's going to be real fire there. That's really a debate with a lot of scholars. Will there be real fire? We don't know. But we believe that fire is metaphorical, and here's why it's so important. Fire disintegrates anything it comes in contact with, right? If you throw something into a fire, what happens? It breaks down and it falls apart. Think about this. Have you ever had a day where you feel like everything's falling apart and anxiety spikes to your highest level? Think about your worst day ever. You just feel like it's all falling apart. That's the feeling that you're going to have in hell for eternity, that anxiety-ridden feeling. The second thing is this. God holds all things together, all things together. In, I, mean, I mean, He is the, it, 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 the essence of who we are. So think about laughter, joy, peace. All those things are from our Creator. The creation, it does not Fill us. The Creator can fill us with that, right? So you'll be void of all of that for eternity. That's the place of hell. So if you think, oh, it's just fire, and I'm just going to be just sitting there burning. No, it is that place where, again, everything is disintegrating. You're bored, and you're alone for eternity. Now, the next thing is this. There's a place of hell, but also the people of hell. Who are the people of hell? Who goes to hell? We're going to answer that in a second. But ultimately, and I'll dig in deeper with this in a second, the people of hell are those who do not want God. They hate the things of God. They abhor the things of God. They do not want the presence of God around them. They don't want to hear the Bible. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to be left alone with it. Leave me alone. Get out of my face with that junk. You know some people like that, don't you? 
So the people of hell are those who are that. I could say those who don't accept Christ, but it's something way deeper that we're going to get into. But here's what I want you to understand why this is so important as we dig deeper into this today. This is so important because culture has taught us a lie about hell. If we misunderstand this, we will not know that hell is not a place of punishment. It's a place of choice. Hell is not a place where the angry God sends you to punish you because he doesn't like mean people and bad people. And he's just going to punish mean and bad people. No, hell is a choice. On, on earth, you will get for eternity um, what you want for eternity. Think about that. Earth is temporary. And you're saying, just like the rich man, I will be my own man. I'll find my own identity in, in what I have and what I do. I don't want to be around the presence of God. I don't want to leverage his resources for what I have. I don't like the things of God. And God says, I love you enough. I'll give you that choice for all eternity. You get to have that. You may not like the consequences of it, but you get to have it. And I don't want you to think that hell is just a, it's a place of punishment for people. It's a place of choice that they're eternally separated from their creator for eternity. That, that's what they want. Last week I told you, I'm not sure if my dad is in heaven. I am not a preacher that gets up and then changes my theology because I love somebody. I don't know if he accepted Christ. I do know this. When I gave my life to the Lord, he told me, I don't want any blanking evangelists in my house. Shut the blank up or I'll beat you to death. Never again do I want to hear that in my house again. He rejected the gospel. He cursed me out. and He threatened to physically harm me if I ever shared the gospel to him. Now, I can say this with all sincerity because it's my dad. If my dad did not turn to Christ, then he gets what he wants for eternity. He gets to never have to hear about that wretched Jesus ever again. Never hear about that Bible ever again. He can rail in eternity at God, yelling at God, saying, I don't ever want to hear about that again. It's a place of choice. It's not a place of punishment. And so many times we think it's a, a place of fire where God is just dragging people that don't want to go, and he throws them in there, and he locks the, you know, the furnace shut, and they're just screaming for eternity. And I want to share with you and answer three questions for you this morning about hell, because we all have these questions about hell, and we're going to dig in a little deeper here. But the first question is this, who goes to hell? I alluded to it earlier, who goes to hell? So in culture, we're taught that Jeffrey Dahmer and people who murder puppies, they go to hell, right? People who've done bad things, hell is reserved for bad people. As I said earlier, hell is a place people choose to go. All hell is, think about this, hell is separation from God. Just, just that word hell, remove fire, remove punishment, and substitute for that variable. Instead of hell, it's separation from the God you did not want to be around or be with for the Jesus that you wanted to reject. It's a place that you get to go where you don't have to be around that or hear that ever again or be in his presence or have any of these convictions and nobody will tell you what to do for eternity. You can be your own self-made person. That is the people of hell. Because realize the gospel, we shared this, man, this is three weeks in a row. We've really just hammered home the gospel. The gospel is this. We have all sinned. We are separated from our Creator because of sin. And Jesus Christ came through the finished work of the cross to give us the opportunity to say, you know what? You can be made right with your Creator through nothing you can do. If you, again, if you're new with this, you got, I, I, some of you hear this all the time, and it says you're inoculated. Christianity is not a religion of good works. When Jesus saves you, 
He saves you by the finished work. Nothing you can do is divine accomplishment. Every other religion, you got to work to try to get there, right? Remember, you got to work to be reincarnated. you got to work to please Allah. you got to work to please you know, the four noble truths of uh, Buddhism. You've got to work it. Christianity is the finished work saves you, and because of that, now you have good works to show the world because of what your Father has done for you, right? So the people of, uh, that, that go to hell are those who say, you know what? In the court of law, in front of the great judgment, I will stand in the great judgment seat in the end of days, and I'm going to stand in front of God, and you're going to say, I'll represent myself. No, I don't want Jesus. I don't want his perfection. I will stand in front of you, God, and I want to tell you all the good works I've done to show you how good that I deserve heaven. Let me in. Because how good I am. Realize for heaven, you've got to be perfect to get in. Because God is completely holy and perfect. He can't stand in the way of sin. The only way to have that is through Christ. And no other world religion promises that you'll have imputed righteousness, not righteousness you try to earn on your own. So the people of hell are those who reject God's offer. Imagine that you've done something very uh, terrible, and, and, and the, the, the judge says, hey, look, there's an offer on the table. This guy will take it for you. He'll go to prison for you. He'll do it all for you, and he's, he's the best person on planet Earth. And you say, nope, I'm going to go through the trial. But you're guilty. I don't care. I don't want this offer. That's the people of hell. It's, listen, there's only two types of people on earth. They're redeemed or not redeemed. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. When God sees you, he sees your sin. And so you have to realize that the, the people uh, who goes to hell are those set, that want separation from God. They don't want his offer. When do they go? This is very important. So for the believer, the moment that you breathe your last breath, we, we had an, um, one of our saints, our elderly saints here, Miss, Miss Betty Powell, she went on to be with the Lord this week, and I, we met with the family, and I'll never forget, um, her son shared this. He said, man, he said, her face just glowed the day before she went. Just glowed. I, he, he said, I thought that the, the nursing home had done something to her. But she, was, uh, she loved Jesus. And the moment she breathed her last breath, she didn't get scared. There was no. She went immediately into the presence of God. Immediately, people who, again, don't know Jesus, the moment they breathe their last, boom, they're then escorted to what we would call hell. Now, now realize this: there's three phases of hell in the Bible. Three phases. Before Christ came, this is what was shared: Abraham's bosom and the place of the dead. Right? Abraham's bosom is where uh, was where Lazarus went. Right? Place of the dead is where the rich man went. Before Christ came, the people who went to Abraham's bosom were those who, again, followed the, the, the law and the prophets. They awaited the coming Messiah. They were faithful to God. They followed his commands. It was a Jewish religion based on works. And those who didn't and rejected it and were evil and hypocritical, those guys were in the place of the dead called Sheol. Well, when Christ came, now they all get transitioned over to the next phase, when Christ came, that place called Place of the Dead in Sheol is now replaced with what we call would be just hell, because there's a third phase. The people who were in waiting at Abraham's bosom are now transitioned to the presence of God, in the full presence of God with Christians now. So Miss Betty, who passed away this week, guess what? She's up there hanging out with Moses. Isn't that pretty cool? Full bliss and full, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. That's the second phase. And when you and I pass, 
unless the Lord comes back and the end of days comes, that's what will happen to us. You'll be ushered, if you know Jesus, straight into the presence of God with utter joy, utter bliss. The third phase is this, and it's very important, it's after the judgment. After the great judgment, then it says in Revelation that there'll be the lake of fire, which again, we believe to be a metaphorical term there as you look at hell uh, there. And after Jesus does that, he sends Satan and his demons, who is fully prepared for there, and all the people who rejected him. And then we'll go through a, a judgment as well. God will judge our works. And he says this, you will not be accepted into heaven based on your works. But here's what I firmly believe with that. You're going to stand in front of God. He's going to show you all the opportunities you missed. You didn't, he didn't want to share the gospel. You didn't want to read your Bible. You didn't want to serve. didn't want to pray. didn't want to give anything. And you're going to sit there and you're going to weep. Realizing just how, I'm going to weep, realizing where I missed it at as a pastor. God's going to, and then God's going to show us grace through Jesus and say, and you know what? I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye because you're not getting in because of how good you were or how bad you were. You get in because of one thing. You accepted my son. You accepted my pardon plea. You accepted Jesus. And now you can be welcome into your, your eternal home. He's going to wipe every tear away of everything, every opportunity we ever missed, every sorrow that we've ever had. Amen. Every sin that you regret and you're remorseful for, he's going to wipe that away. And then it says, remember last week, John said, I behold, I saw the new heavens and the new earth coming down. And you got to listen to last week's message to find out what are the new heavens and new earth coming down and what will we do there. That's the final phase. And so you have, again, who, who are the people that, that go? Uh, the people who reject God. When do they go? As soon as they breathe their last. Let me share this with you. I, I'm not big on dreams. Somebody comes and says, I had a dream, Pastor, and I dreamed it. That's cool, whatever. You know, I, I don't put stock in people. Right? Jesus, did, Jesus said he committed his trust to no one. Because people can be flighty. Y'all say amen, right? Um, I, I pull everything that I believe from the Scriptures. Everything I believe about heaven, about hell, about everything from the Scriptures. But I'll say this. My brother um, is not walking with the Lord right now. He's walked away from God. He gave his life to Christ about 20 years ago. I, I personally led him to Jesus. I think it was a heartfelt conversion, but he's now sensed to at this point in his life, not want to live for Christ and won't, he doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus or prayer or anything. Well, um, he came to me, uh, it was uh, some time after he gave his life to the Lord, and our grandfather, when I was nine years old, he was 19 years old, our grandfather was around 65 years old, committed suicide. My grandmother had cancer, it was a very traumatic event in my life, uh, and I've told the story before from the stage of what happened that day when I was expected to ride the tractor with him, and then I, I didn't. My mom showed up and said he, he shot himself at nine years old. He's like, what a suicide. I, I don't get it. Um, and so anyway, my brother said he had a dream. He said in the dream, he's there with, we called Granddaddy Lawrence, and he shows up. He said everything was gray. Everything was just absolutely depressing and boring. He said he had this little depressing little place he lived, and he asked him how he was doing. They talked a little bit. He don't remember what they were talking about. He said, but then Granddaddy Lawrence carried him to a big window. He says, you see that over there? And my brother looked. He said he saw the most beautiful sight he'd ever seen in his life. He couldn't describe how beautiful it was. He said, my grandfather looked. He said, that's the place I'll never get to go. And then the dream ended just like that. Now, I don't know if that was real, if just my brother's subconscious. I have no clue about that. But here's what I can tell you. That is what hell will be like for those that don't know Jesus the moment that they transition out of this earth. 
Because as you said, there's a great chasm between us. Can't be separated. Now here's the final question you're going to ask, because you're asking this about my grandfather or I've said about my dad. These are loved ones that I love. Not only when do they go, but here's the final question I want to answer today. Do they ever get out? Do they ever get out? Short answer is no. Here's, here's what surprise you. Why? If you've never read the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, it's a fictional book, but it is mind-blowing. Because what he shares is, is he shares two, pe- two types of people. Uh, you don't know it's heaven and hell at first, and you realize what he's showing. You have one group that lives in a really gloomy, dismal place. They're all, they're complaining all the time. They complain about each other. They're angry. They're prideful. They're ven- vengeful. And they just, ugh. They just, ugh, just nothing's good enough. And there's a bus that comes and picks them up. Very nice bus driver dressed in all white. He says, I want to take you today to a different place and show you this other place. He drives them up, and now as you're reading, you realize he drives them to heaven. He gives you insight into what that heaven was like. Like the, the water was like crystal, crystal clear, beautiful, sparkling. The sun was so vibrant that everything shone like gold. He said it was the most beautiful place C.S. Lewis said he had ever seen in this book. And the people of hell get taken up there, and guess what they do? They complain about it. They're like, oh, it's so bright here. Who'd want to live here? Oh, and who's that guy, and why, why is everything revolving around him? I don't want to do that. And they just, they hate heaven so much they ask to get on the bus and go back to hell. That's the short story of the great divorce. Here's what we assume when you think, will they ever get out? Will God ever forgive them? The rich man, realize this, the rich man never asked for forgiveness because he thought he had done nothing wrong. The rich man accused God of not giving him enough information. He said, oh, no, but if you'll just go tell my brothers what I didn't know, then I'd be okay. In the place of the dead, he is arguing with God. And and here's what's worse. He wants Lazarus to come serve him. Have Lazarus come serve me and bring me a cup of water. How arrogant. Go have Lazarus rise from the dead and have him go tell my brothers. Like, we assume this. Repentance from our dead works and our life is repentance. That means when I gave my life to Christ, I turned away from my vile views. I had to submit my life to the Lord. for him to be my master. You assume that people that are in hell are going to say, all of a sudden, now I'm ready to leave all my pride behind. I'm ready to change all my values, everything I value. Some people fight their whole life fighting the values of Scripture, fighting them. And now all of a sudden in hell, they're going to just change and want to accept. They want to be in the presence of God. They want No, what they're going to do in hell is they're going to say, well, God, um, you should have shown us a miracle. And the other one's like, yeah, that's right. He should have done this. And they're going to argue with God and argue with each other. You assume they want to get out of hell. Understand this. It's the place they want to be in. They don't want the presence of God. They don't, if you're rejecting Scripture, if you're rejecting Jesus, if you're rejecting holiness to live your life for the Lord, rejecting being filled with the Holy Spirit and living for God and serving God and doing everything— you're not going to get to hell and they all of a sudden, I heard, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do all that. That is the, that is the, think about this with your children. 
Do you want your children to just say, okay, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't want the consequence. Now, you want them to heart, in a heartfelt way not want to do those things because it's wrong. People in hell will not be different people. They'll still have their pride just like the rich man. They'll still have their identity in everything that railed against Scripture. Well, why does the Bible contradict itself? I'm not going to know. Even if God offered them repentance, they would argue. Well, you know, what about the people in the land of Nod in Genesis? I don't really understand. That's just a contradiction. Well, you know, I'm not really sure. We're not sure if John really wrote his gospel. How can we really believe that Jesus is Lord? They're going to sit there for eternity in their pride because pride is what got Satan out of heaven into hell. You assume they want to get out. No, it's their choice. See, I love the presence of God. I love repentance. It's a new, every day. Like, you know, when I wake up in the mornings, the Scriptures say that His mercies are new every morning. I get a chance to repent. I know it sounds like a bad word, but I get to turn away from all the stuff yesterday that I failed in, the things that I should have done that I didn't, and vice versa, right? As the sun comes up, I'm just like, God, thank you for another morning to serve you. I'm thinking about opportunities and ways to share the gospel. I want to love Jesus more and serve Jesus more. That's just my life is revolved. And I can't wait to heaven to get to do that for eternity. The guy before, March 1st, 1999, that guy before didn't want that. And I would have gotten my choice for all eternity. Friends, hell's not a place that God sends bad people to to punish them forever and keeps them closed in with a, you know, with a coffin shut and they're going to be in hell. It's a place they want to go. Now, here's the good thing. You and I have a choice now. We have a choice to want to submit our lives to Jesus, serve Jesus, to make le the leverage our resources. The rich man never leveraged his resources for Jesus. The, he saw a need right in front of him and kept turning his head. How many times have we talked about a missionary and you're like, but you're going to, you're going to the steakhouse after church? That's what a rich man did. He found, he found his identity in the stuff he owned. He would never give that up. Pride. We have a choice that we can live our lives for the Lord, leverage everything for Him. And maybe you're not sure if you know Christ. Maybe you like church. You like the idea of the Bible. Maybe you're, you're amical to it, but you've never said, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I turn my life to you. I give my life. You be my God. You, you be my Lord, my master. The Greek word's kurios. You be my Lord. Maybe you've never done that. If you're watching online today, you've never done that. It's simple. You don't have to try to get your act together or be perfect. Christianity is this. You come to him as you are with everything that's just rotten and despicable, all your problems. You may not know the Bible. It doesn't matter. You come to Jesus as you are, and he receives you as you are. And he fills you with his spirit, and he gives you purpose and calling. And yes, one day heaven will be your home, but God's he gives you a purpose on earth. He fills you with joy and peace. If that's you, this could be your day. If you're a follower of Jesus in here and, and you hear this, here's what we have to do. We have to give people the choice whether they want it or not. We have to at least try. And we're going to be rejected a lot. People are going to tell us no a lot when it comes to the gospel. My own father cursed me out and threatened to, to beat me to a pulp if I ever shared the gospel with him again. Can I tell you? It wasn't the last time I shared the gospel, but I, I, I had to be very careful how I did it. Very careful. 
if you're a believer in here, we have a mission to plunder hell and populate heaven. And that's the mission of Thrive Church as well, to see people come to faith, to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're a believer in here, you need to pray and look for opportunities to live a life worthy of the gospel and to share the gospel with people. And if you're not a believer in here, I'm going to pray in a second. And guess what? You can do the same thing that I did and pray the same prayer that I made 20 years ago and give your life to Jesus. So if you will this morning, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you give us opportunity and choice. I pray for all of those in here that are believers today, Father, that know you, that follow you, that we would do our best to live a life to glorify you so that others would see the goodness of Jesus in us and that we could share the gospel when open opportunities come. Father, thank you for redemption in Jesus, salvation in Jesus, that it's not by our works but by your grace that we can be saved, Lord. Thank you. And Father, for all of those watching online and for all of those who are in here today who just don't know, Lord, where they're at, maybe they're seeking, maybe they're trying to figure things out, I pray you would soften their hearts to the gospel. May their story be a story of redemption, a story of salvation, a story of purpose and hope, and that one day heaven will be their home to spend their eternity with their creator who they love. And as we're praying today, church, in this matter of prayer, maybe you're that person today that you don't know where you stand with Jesus. You don't know where you stand with salvation. You've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord. Today's your day. Just like me, over 20 years ago, my palms were sweaty, my heart was racing, wasn't sure what I was getting into. I just knew I had to make that decision. Right now, that's you. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith after me. And the Bible says, once you do this, you shall be saved. You're saved. Heaven is your home. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and Jesus is your Lord, and you're full of purpose. So right where you're at, whether you're watching online or here, pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit my works can't save me. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe He is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross. And I believe He rose again on the third day. Today, I make Jesus my Lord. I repent and turn away from my old life. Today, I receive new life. Today, I receive forgiveness of sins. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you for saving me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.